Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I tackle life's most important question. How do I become a saint? Today's podcast is titled, In the Silence of the Heart, God Speaks. Silence. It can be uncomfortable. It was the summer before the junior year of college, and I found myself chatting with my buddy Tim. The topic, my upcoming semester abroad. Tim was a few years older than me, and so he was providing me some of his insights. After we chatted about places to see, food to eat, classes to take, and the pros and cons of dating in Europe, he asked me a challenging question. What are you planning to do to grow while over there? In truth, I hadn't given the question much thought. I was excited to travel and had every intention of having a faith-filled and responsible semester. But how was I going to grow? After taking a few moments to gather my thoughts, a Holy Holy Spirit-led inspiration hit my heart, like Holy Spirit-led inspirations do. I think I'm going to do a holy hour every day. It came out like word vomit. He looked at me a little surprised, And if I had to guess, a little skeptical. Do you do that currently? He asked. Well, not daily, but I've been going more recently, and I think I should do it. As in typical Brendan fashion, I'd trap myself with heroic speech, although I had a sidekick-like virtue flowing from me. To his credit, he didn't tell me to outright not do it or that I couldn't do it, but he did say it'd be difficult. I agreed, and the conversation moved forward. The conversation reemerged in my mind just weeks later when I arrived in Austria, and the school quickly announced sign-up times for Holy Hour. The only person aware of my quest for that personal time with Jesus was Tim and also the man upstairs, but fully knowing that at least Jesus would know if I was faithful or not, I decided to try and follow through. I signed up for a Holy Hour every single day and locked myself in. Can't get out of it now. It's a decision that I'll never regret. Today we talk about silence, the importance of prayer, the importance of a holy hour. And I'm so thankful to have with me Christine Rice. Christine, thank you so much for for joining me this evening. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So to give you guys a little introduction on Christine, Christine is one of six Her family is from the Philadelphia area, and she is the youngest child, also known as the favorite child. Mm -hmm. She is a graduate of Franciscan University, and while there, she was a member of Regina Angelorum household, also a member of the lacrosse team, and following graduation, she felt called to go to Belize and do a year of mission there. Following that year, (laughs) she did a second year. And following that, she came to the Cincinnati area to teach. And now she's currently planning the biggest heist in the world, trying to steal all of God's heart as she discerns her vocation to be a nun. So, Christine, thank you so much for being with us this evening. Um, And let's get started. If you could, 
just share with our listeners your story and why we're talking about the importance of prayer and the importance of silence and the importance of uh, making a holy hour. Of course. Um, my life story is the greatest tragic comedy that has ever been told. Um, I was, I'm just kidding, I was raised in a very Catholic family. My dad went to daily mass and my older siblings seemed to, or my older four siblings seemed to have just an innate sense of discipline and virtue that I admired a lot. Um, and there's, so there's the older four and then there's a seven year gap and then there's my brother Greg and I at the bottom there. So we had a lot of freedom and Greg likes to say we played with freedom in our younger years. So in high school, I was, I, I think I, I was exposed to a lot of sin in high school at, a, at an early age. Um, and that kind of plagued me and changed my relationship with the Lord and with my older siblings. Um, I went from a place of admiration for them to kind of just feeling like they were out of reach. But I still desired that holiness and I, I wanted what they had. So I followed them to Franciscan University. Three of my older siblings went there. Um, and it was a mixed bag at Franciscan. My first few years, I kind of stayed in that, that lukewarmness of, of faith and of habitual sin and just kind of feeling, feeling like the holy people on campus were out of reach, which was silly. And then towards the end, I kind of started coming out of that and taking the faith as my own, which was a blessing of household and of lacrosse and just the beauty of that university. And my brother Greg went to Belize and he came back and he was so healed and restored and filled and he was like overflowing with grace and with life and with joy. So I signed up for, um, for a year of mission work and while I was there, they offered daily mass and daily adoration. And that was the first time. I had gone to daily mass on and off throughout my life, especially because of my dad's influence, but that was the first time I started making a daily holy hour. And at first I only did it because it seemed like what a good missionary would do, like what, what the good ones were doing. But then it just captured my heart and it, it still, it has my heart completely and it changed my life and it brought me where I am today. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> Are you going to repeat me and mock my sincerity? Is that is that what we're doing here? No. So to that point, you know, you speak to um, you know how it changed your life, and I and I shared my story of kind of coming to that conclusion to see it as important. Um, if you could um, just speak to getting to that point and now maybe just sharing what that looks like. Because I think for a lot of people, um, you know, I can speak for myself. When I was invited into that by the Holy Spirit, I knew the only way for Brendan Gada to ever get there was to just make the plunge. I am a person who is a, uh, sometimes I, I, I'm more of a lover due to duty than I am out of true love. And so I committed to the Holy Hour, so of course I was going to be faithful to that when I was in Europe, and um, that duty continued forward. You know, as I left Austria, I came back on campus and continued that and, and stayed 
relatively on that course since then. Um, but I do think that even with that, it has still been a balancing act of coming to really love personal prayer, coming to love that time with our Lord. Um, so if you could just speak to kind of that development over these last three plus years, how the Lord has worked on your heart to, you know, you said he captured your heart. If you could speak to that, I think that there's, there's, I'm sure something that, uh, mm-hmm. is going to be beautiful and profound that our listeners will like to hear. Yeah, there were definitely stages to it that I can, when I was reflecting on it, I, I can definitely see how they unfolded. When I first, um, went to Belize and started daily adoration, I think there were some still, or I know there were still some big sins on my soul. Um, and the first thing I noticed that adoration did was just that outpouring of grace that made sins that I thought were unconquerable suddenly were easily conquerable and just kind of, just kind of became, I don't know, just the grace is unreal. And when you, when you make a holy hour every day and you're in the presence of, of Christ, um, in his glory, in the monstrance, it's, that thought of sin just kind of, it becomes so much easier to, to rid yourself of the sin in your life. Um, another thing that happened in the beginning was that my conscience was reformed and my will was strengthened. So I had kind of dulled my conscience due to, you know, just like my past and, um, or just like living a lukewarm faith. And all of a sudden my conscience just started becoming sharper and I would be like, he just kept calling me deeper into to examine my life and to examine my habits and my tendencies and my thoughts and just purify them. It was like an intense time of purification in the beginning, um, which speaks to why it's so hard. Because as soon as you go in, especially in the beginning, you're just it's a it's purific it's purifying. It's hard. It's not fun. It's it's difficult, and I I can understand why people run away from it, but it's healing. Um, in the end and then so that was the first stage and then the second stage I would say was kind of just I think everybody has brokenness in them Um, everybody has wounds and those kind of just start to become more apparent but in a beautiful way I read this cheesy thing once that was like Japanese when they make pottery or when they break pottery instead of like just gluing the pieces back together they use gold and they they put it together with gold and it goes in like the cracks and the crevices and it shows like that that wounds and that cracks and um, brokenness is beautiful and that's what I saw in the silence of adoration um, in that silence I I gave my wounds entrusted them to his sacred wounds his his hands and his feet and his side and he made them He wrapped them in gold and he made them beautiful and he made my life a testimony. And what before was covered in shame was now covered in testimony to light and to him. And um, yeah, he he healed me in a beautiful way. Um, And then the other, then the next stage that I saw was just, he heals you and then he just continues to call you like further up and further in that's from a book that I listened to, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. But he just keeps like, he just keeps calling you into deeper things that you never could have imagined for yourself. Um, 
And I think the noise of the world and of society and just the noise of our everyday life doesn't allow us to hear the voice of God. But when you're in that silent adoration, that individual encounter, all you hear is his voice if you're, if you're well disposed to it and if you're ready for it and if you're open to it. And then he'll just put things on your mind like, hey, what if you became a religious sister? Like, what if you surrendered completely? And at first you're like, what? Like, nah, come on, you know me? Like, it's ridiculous. And then, but in that silence, all those other voices of, of doubt, of fear, of the world are silent and only his voice speaks. And he says, yeah, yes, you, like, I redeemed you, I saved you. You can do anything. And then he just every day keeps calling you into something deeper and something bigger. And then your whole life is different. And then you can't stop going back. <laughs> Amen. Well, and I, and I think there's, there's two things that you said that kind of struck me. You, know, you talked about it first, that first level, just kind of a healing from your sinfulness. Um, I just think this is something that so many people... We carry this weight of the world with our sins. Mm-hmm. There's this deep shame. And our Lord, I mean, he, he constantly reminds me, especially in my prayer. You know, I find myself in adoration. And, you know, I, I share that story with you at the start. This isn't, <laughs> I, I, I'd say when I first started doing that, there, it was a point of pride. Um, you know, I felt good that I was going and praying more than sometimes other people that I knew. And now it's really become a point of humility um, because I've come to an understanding of how important prayer is. And yet then I look at myself and I know how broken and wretched I am. Um, but to your point of that healing, the healing is is different in every person's life, but... Um, you know, for, for you brothers and sisters who are caught in deep habitual sin, whatever it might be, maybe it's addiction, um, the healing can be, hundred you know, 100% gone. You never commit the sin. It also could become a detachment of that sin in the, in the realest sense of you might still fall into that sin from time to time, but the, the desire is much different than what it was before. And you've con- you've actually grown in humility through that sin <clears throat> and found yourself actually drawn to his mercy in a way that you never were before um, because you trust his mercy. Uh, there's just so many beautiful things that our Lord can do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something to just for us to reflect on and to to give ourselves over to you shared another point but now I'm <laughs> it's it's escaped me a little bit but I'm sure it will come back okay. um, but so I want to ask the question and I would love to hear your response um, for both you and I I'm sure we could say that this was a hard place to get to why are we so afraid of prayer why are people people so afraid of prayer um 
Well, one thing I really like, or I've noticed, especially um, this year in adoration, is that the since a cross always hangs above the altar or somewhere near the altar, at, ador at adoration, if you go to most churches, the cross is hanging above the monstrance. And this year I've really focused in on that fact that there's no monstrance without the cross. There's no there's no glory without the crucifixion. Um, there's no salvation without suffering and without sacrifice. And when you, Satan tempts us, I think, to go half in in prayer and to not commit fully because we know that if we commit fully, we have to give ourselves away. And we have to give away the comfortable things that we've, the comfortable habits that we've created for ourselves to not give ourselves fully to God yet. We think, oh, I'll, you know, one day I'll repent. Let me just live right now. Let me live my 20s. Let me live my 30s. When I'm 60, I'll go to church every day, I promise God. But when you start entering into real surrender and prayer every day, and adoration brings that out of you, um, it's scary because it, it asks you to dive deep and it asks you to just go full surrender, everything that makes you comfortable, everything that um, makes you feel safe, it asks you to give up and to just surrender to his will. And that's terrifying. And, but if it's real prayer, that's what it does because real prayer is the cross. And we're never gonna know the, the glory of the monstrance or the glory of salvation until our life here is over. So right now it's just the cross and it's just surrender. So if we're avoiding prayer, we're avoiding, we're avoiding the surrender and that makes total sense because it's scary, but it's so necessary and there's so much joy when when we do it yeah and to i mean to that point in the end brothers and sisters there's nothing more important than the salvation of souls our own soul included and god is never going to be able to use us in the way that he wants to until we surrender ourselves over to him in that real way and I think you'll agree with me, you can't, we can't be the people we're called to be until we find ourselves learning from the school of silence. Mm -hmm. It's so necessary. And each person's time in that school of silence is going to look different. I mean, for some people, it's going to be you know, a daily holy hour. For some, it's going to be even more than that. For others, it might just be the 30 minutes waking up early at 4.30 before the baby wakes up at 5. But no matter what, God is calling each and every one of us to prayer. Hands down, no doubt, it's not, you're never going to be too busy for prayer. I forget what saint says it, but... Um, well, Mother Teresa's, when her sisters would complain that they had too much to do during the day, they would say, Mother, we don't have time for our holy hour. We've got too much going on. There's too much suffering here. And what was her response? She says, you're right. We should do two holy hours. I like that. This is a woman who saw pain and suffering every day in such a real way. And yet she knew that prayer 
was essential. I said it before on this podcast. Jesus sacrificed charity for prayer. Think about that. Jesus sacrificed charity for prayer. So I guess my next question, what are the reasons for people besides just fear? Are there any other reasons why people hold back from prayer? Is it, I mean, I guess it goes along with what you Mm -hmm. said. Yeah. I think fear is a big one. I think, yeah, busyness, which is, is okay. Some people are very busy, but, and have children and so on. But I liked, um, during quarantine, um, I was frustrated with not being able to go to adoration. And my spiritual director said, turn your, wake up in the morning, turn your chair in the, in the direction of the nearest tabernacle, the nearest church, close your eyes and, and make a holy hour, make, make 15 minutes of prayer, make whatever it is. And that just shed light on the fact that we can, we can, find any reason, you know, to, to cut prayer out of our life. Um, well, I can't make it to church, or the church is closed, or I don't have time. But in reality, it's that, again, it's looking at the cross and knowing, like, really? Like, you won't, you won't just give me 15 minutes, like, when I gave you this? Um, and then it all becomes, <laughs> it all becomes a lot easier to fit it in. I also think that I was reading something. Sometimes I'll compare myself to other people when I don't want to make my holy hour. I don't want to finish my prayers at night or something. I'm like, well, you know, there are some people out there who aren't praying at all. And I'm just, I'm doing really well compared to them. But I read this reflection that says the only person that we should be comparing ourselves to is Christ crucified. And if your love is not, um, our love will never measure that. But that's the only person we should compare compare ourselves to so that makes it a little that's just something to reflect on for you're never too busy you're never you're never too tired there's always time for prayer if you make it anything can be a prayer and I think sometimes we discredit the fruitfulness of prayer Mm -hmm. I think unintentionally um, we long maybe intentionally we long for this prayer that shines or shows through fruit or gives us that feeling Mm -hmm. and that's good and our Lord does want to provide us with that feeling um, that consolation that he provides It's real, and it's good. Uh, But one thing I've learned over these last couple years is as I've dove into, you know, giving that time to the Lord, you know, both in in frequenting communion and going to Mass and also in personal prayer, um, and I've said this before too, it's food for the journey. I don't, and I think you would agree with me, Christine, we don't become angelic beings because of this time. I mean, we have real struggles. I have real struggles. Mm -hmm. I still (laughs) am so broken. Talk to any priest in the couple dioceses around here, and they'll tell you 
that I'm a sinful guy, or they'll say, I can't tell you, but they'll wink, because it's true, they've heard my confession, or talk to my friends and family, and they'll say, oh, that guy. But to that point, I can't imagine where I'd be without that prayer. If this is what I look like Mm -hmm. with prayer in my life, oh, oh, God have mercy on me, Mm -hmm. imagining the person I'd be without it. Um, And so, you know, I think, how does this, in your your mind, Christine, how does this tie in with, with what I mentioned it with Mass? Do these to you go hand in hand? What's the which one's more important and oh there's there's a right answer to that so she answers wrong we will edit it out well the right answer is that receiving the eucharist is the the greatest thing we could ever receive but it's called the source and summit of our faith but so is the eucharist and the monstrance so is adoration of the blessed sacrament it's still the source and summit the thing i think is that mass is beautiful and we are just nourished like We hear readings from scripture. We hear the wise words of our pastor, our priest. We literally receive Christ in the Eucharist. And all we have to do is really show up. We can obviously come sometimes very prayerful and sometimes not very prayerful. All we have to do, though, is show up and be well disposed, be well ready for the Lord. Adoration, and it's a communal thing, which is beautiful. But it's also noisy. I mean, it's loud in the best way because we're hearing the best things. Adoration is individual. And I think if you're looking for a, a personal encounter, with encounter itself is individual for the most part. So if you're looking to, um, to have a personal encounter with Christ, yes, that happens at Mass. Obviously, you receive him. But that takes unpacking like the the incredibleness is that a word of receiving christ like and receiving those words of the of the scripture in mass need to be unpacked in our soul and need um us going before the blessed sacrament the eucharist in a different way instead of receiving him completely unworthy we're going and we're kneeling and prostrating ourselves before him and we're taking the time out of our day um, to say, I've been nourished and now I'm just going to bend my will and my and and bow my head and, and thank you for the for this grace and for um, your place in my life. And then we still get spoiled in adoration because as soon as we go, some some holy hours are great, they're consoling and some some are desolation and some are hard. But regardless, he he still showers grace on us in that in that time of adoration. So I think that both both are necessary. I would say if I was giving a formula for sainthood, I would I would definitely say both. And I but I think this is probably this is wrong to say, but I think if someone is in desperate need of healing and of of purification and of just totally turning of self back to God. I think adoration is where it happens. It happens in the silence. It happens in the bending of the will um, to God. And when you go there, every it doesn't matter. Like no matter what day, every day 
when I go, I still, there's this feeling when you walk in and you see the monstrance and you see the Blessed Sacrament, you just, there's this feeling of that he was waiting. It doesn't matter if he went three hours before and to adoration, it doesn't matter if you went three years before. It's just that, have you ever felt like that? Good times, if, but I can't say I feel it every time. It just feels like he was waiting, and then... Disclaimer, Christine <laughs> is holier than I, and I promise you that. <laughs> Nobody then, at home was doubting that as they listened to her talk about Jesus, and then they hear me ramble. And, but. Then, <laughs> and then you go, and then you kneel before him, and then... It's just such an experience. I gotta say, I'm, I, love, I love adoration. Tune in next week for part two.